Amos 5.24 declares, But let justice run down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, flowing abundantly. Welcome to our fifth episode in Season 3 of Iona Speaks about Defending Self-Justice, a platform used for us as women to hear how we can walk in our dominion through the power of voice and the strength of awareness. May this podcast bring hope through enlightenment for every listener on their journey to self-justice in Jesus' name. During this season, we have discussed generational impact, historical influences, the impact of forgiveness, and the essence of our heritage. In this episode, we will be discussing being a defender of self-justice as a child of God. On June 19, 1865, General Gordon Granger read General Order Number 3 to the people of Galveston, Texas, who did not know that the Atlantic slave trade was over through the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation that occurred on January 1, 1863. General Granger read this statement. The people of Texas are informed that in accordance with a proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of rights and the rights of property between former masters and slaves, and the connection heretofore existing between them becomes that between an employer and hired laborer. After the reading of this proclamation, the first celebration of freedom began for African-Americans to be treated as human beings, God's creation of value and worth with dignity and equality, something that had not yet been nationally celebrated in the United States. Juneteenth today commemorates African-American freedom and emphasizes education and achievement across multiple platforms like spiritual, science, legal, educational, journalism, media, arts and entertainment, sports, social work and recreation and parks. After celebrating freedom, dignity, and value, news broke that the United States Supreme Court overturned the 1973 decision of Roe versus Wade. That was a piece of legislation offering a layer of protection to women and girls for their right to choose if they felt the need to have an abortion for a variety of reasons. As there are different perspectives across our nation and even within our churches. We are going to have a discussion tonight about different parts of this. Because as believers of Christ, even through disagreements, we should be unified because we are to respond from a posture of agape love. As we also celebrated Father's Day in the month of June, it is a blessing that I am able to have this conversation with my father, John E. Lewis, a man of faith, a man of wisdom, a man with the heart towards God, a man who seeks to hear and follow the voice of Holy Spirit, a man who children love and is a patriarch of our family, a man who is imperfectly perfect. Welcome back, Daddy, to another episode of Iona Speaks about Defending Self-Justice. So, Daddy, as we know that not everyone knew about Juneteenth, 
and that every city in the United States didn't even want to celebrate such a holiday for a variety of reasons. As an African-American male, what does Juneteenth mean to you in this season of your life, especially since now it is made a federal holiday? Well, initially, I didn't know anything about Juneteenth. But after I you know, did some research and found out about it and what the meaning of it was, I think it was something that was well, well needed. It's something that should have been done a long time ago because it gets some recognition of the African-American community that hasn't been done for them in a long time. Even with the Juneteenth, Juneteenth celebration, the sad part about this is that there's still so much prejudice in the country that we're having trouble, you know, trying to get the proper recognition for it. Hmm. Yeah. And you got the opportunity um, just over this weekend to, well, over the weekend of Juneteenth, um, to actually be a part of a celebration with different ceremonies that were held um, regarding one of our cousins, Cousin Lee Hayes, who had, was a longtime resident of East Hampton, New York. And he was just recognized by our town as being one of the initial Tuskegee Airmen. As you observed all of those ceremonies and celebrations over that weekend, what did you witness? I witnessed a celebration that where the town dedicated a park in the name of Lee Hayes, Lee A. Hayes, Tuskegee Airmen, who was our cousin. We had a celebration, they had a march, they had a breakfast. It was very, very nice. They also had a celebration up in Herrick Park in the village. I did not attend that, but that was separate from the dedication for the park. They had a big stone that they had moved and put at the entrance. They had a plaque on the stone. They had a, the name of the park was changed to Lee A. R. Lee a. Hayes, which is middle name for A for Arthur. And there was quite a few people who were there. They had some Tuskegee a motorcycle group. Part of that was, had come. Part of the uh, Tuskegee Airmen, who are now younger people, they came and they did the uh, honor barrier with the flag. We had a couple of town officials were there. The police department did an excellent job of policing the highway for the walk. It was just a beautiful thing to see. Hmm. So like you said in the earlier question, when you said even though we're celebrating Juneteenth, yet there's still so much prejudice in the world. And, you know, speaking about you personally, what does it mean for you personally as being a resident of East Hampton for all of your life and seeing this honor being bestowed upon a family member of ours who basically was so much, there was so much segregation, so much um, prejudice, um, there was so much racism that he experienced in defending our country. 
What does that mean to you, for you? Well, I was very proud that they finally made some recognition of it. I didn't know that as a Tuskegee Airman, he had a pilot's license and applied to fly commercial airlines and none of the airlines would hire him because of his color. That was very disappointing. But he, he still kept his faith. He still kept his integrity. And uh, I'm glad that I was, uh, I can say that he's my cousin. <laughs> he put a lot of time in, in the Air Force, too. And he was trying to recruit a lot of uh, blacks to join the Air Force and get into the uh, airplanes. So even though he was denied a right to be able to fly because he had a license, but because of his color, he still didn't allow that to deter him or cause him to become so bitter because he was loved throughout the town. And we grew up in a yes. town that is predominantly white. Yes, he self-taught himself too to become a carpenter. Him and his his brothers formed a business, and they did a, put up a lot of buildings in the East Hampton area. Now, and also the Juneteenth celebration fell just a couple of days before his one hundredth birthday. Oh wow! Yeah, I remember you told me that. That is really, and that's remarkable. Um, although he was unable to see his 100th birthday, <laughs> um, right. the fact, uh, the fact that this commemoration basically took place on right before the celebration of a decade, not a decade, sorry, a century of his life. Um, he would have been a century. So that's, that is a blessing. Um, you know, we're in times where it seems that we just don't, we might not know how to be in that godly posture, but this is an example of how he defended his self-justice in a God, in a godly way as a child of God, because even though there were things that were against him, even though there were people that were against him, there were laws that were against him. He still continued to move forward in grace. And even though I'm sure he might have, you know, had some hard days and maybe questioned some things, he didn't allow that to come forth so much in a place or in a posture where it was divisive. Because, you know, as we said earlier, he was so well respected in a town where there was there was a lot of racism even when I was growing up. Um, so, you know, and that was in the 70s. So it's just it's just uh, amazing to know that we have someone that's a part of our heritage, a part of our lineage, who basically paved a way and showed us how to live godly. Another example, because of course we had that in Pop Pop, your dad, and so many others. Yet here's another one who was on a high platform, who was recognized by so many people and still chose to live as a child of God. 
So with that, the next question I have is that, you know, you are a African-American father, you have two daughters, you're a church trustee, a spiritual father who is diligent in prayer and studying the word of God. What are your feelings and impressions um, on the overturning of the decision of Roe versus Wade? I think it was a disgrace to our country, and to our leaders, for something like that to happen. It, like, it's, like you were saying earlier, it does show the amount of prejudice that is still going on through this country, throughout this country. And uh, I was talking to someone, and there was a lot of this happened because the Caucasians were the ones who were predominantly having abortions and the concern was that people of color would outnumber them. I think it was very, very political that they did this. Another black eye they were trying to put on the people of color in this country. It's very, very sad that our Supreme Court would do something like this. Now, and that's very interesting, and it, and it leads me back to a conversation that I had with a believer of Christ who was more conservative uh, than progressive, and he basically asked me the question, how could I be pro-life and be pro-choice? And how I simply answered the question is, I'm pro-life because God is the giver of life. He created life. And I'm pro-life for everyone. And I'm pro-choice because there have been situations that I've experienced in my profession and had conversations on personally where if there's a nine-year-old or a 12-year-old who has been sexually abused or sexually assaulted or a 16-year-old or a 24-year-old who's been trafficked and sin has been brought upon them because another person wanted to harm them and treat them as an object for their own personal desires. And from that, a pregnancy took place or a forced pregnancy happened where the offender wanted to actually impregnate a child so that they could have more dominance and control over that child or over that young woman. And to have that child go through that entire situation of nine months of reliving that trauma. Is that the will of God? And I don't know. What I do, what I do know is that God is the giver of life and that Jesus never forced any decisions upon us. So to have a legislation, a political decision that forces 
something to happen. It almost seems like it takes us all the way back to where, to the Atlantic slave trade, to where somebody is legislating something for control over another person, as opposed to perhaps us providing more services and more legislation that help the children who come out of the womb and provide services and programs and legislation that support education for children, education for parents, equal opportunities for living arrangements, equal opportunities for medical assistance, equal opportunities to live so that there is not so much abuse that takes place to cause a result of life coming out of something so tragic. And it took me back to a conversation I had with mommy. And it's just, there's certain things that I remember, there's certain key moments that, you know, you might forget. But one of the things, you know, she had said was, regardless of what happened, if I were to ever get pregnant while I was still living with her, I was not going to be able to have an abortion. And of course, you know, being young and not really recognizing that, I don't believe that she said it to be egregious or she said it to be evil. I believe that sometimes people say things in a manner that they just don't know how to say it. And so when we talk about different issues and we're, on, we're, we're in different disagreements, it's okay for us to disagree as long as we stay unified because that's a principle of God. And we are supposed to be defending our self-justice as a child of God. So there's a lot of things that maybe were not thought through when the legislation was overturned. And I believe there probably were a lot of things that were not thought through when the legislation was even enacted in 1973. That's very possible. I, I agree with you a lot on that also, but a lot of it, it was a political ploy, this one that, that just took place. And a lot of it occurred because of the former president, what he was doing. But it's very sad that, that they don't take, didn't take into consideration like the statements that you made of an individual who was underage, who had could have been incest from a relative or raped by someone out in the street. They need to have that right to say, no, I do not want this. 
and they need to be able to have legislation legislation to back that up. Right, and here's another question, like just another ponder thought is, you know, there's supposed to be the separation of the church and the government. And what does that look like when we have politicians who profess to be believers of Christ and still make decisions without looking at the whole person? Like, once again, we're pro-life. So it's not, we're not saying that, oh, we want to have and see all of these abortions. Yet, we're also pro-choice. And when I say that, I'm talking about our nation. Our nation is pro-life. Our nation is pro-choice. And you've got different arguments on both, on both degrees. Yet what happens is when you begin to merge the government or legislation with the church, there's a way that we should do it so that we can still say, stay unified in the midst of our, our disagreements. Because that's important for us to stay unified in the midst of our disagreements. Yes, it is. And so with the key moments that a person can remember um, in their lives, and since Jesus says that he's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle, what are your thoughts? Because you, you talked about first how you felt personally. What are your thoughts on how we as a church should respond to this decision? Because, you know, like we've talked about, everyone is not in agreement, yet doesn't the Lord require us to all be unified? Yes, but the only, you know, the problem is everybody has their own mindset on, on certain things and how they think and how they want things done. Sometimes they stay within the context of the Lord and sometimes they go out of that context mm -hmm. because of their own personal desires. But I don't believe that, uh, like you said earlier, the Lord did not force anybody, does not force anybody to follow him. He gives us a free choice to do that on our own. And that's what he wants. And even sometimes our decisions could be the wrong decision, but he allows us to make those decisions. Yeah. He's a, gr he's a God of grace. He's a God of love. He is. And that's one of the things that we want to get the message out as the church. It would be great to have a response where you can sit with someone, share the love of God without any elements of shame or making anyone feel guilty. And that's mm -hmm. what I go back to the, the conversation with mommy because like I said, I don't believe she had any ill will to, to say what she said. It was just how she said it. And I believe that's what happened. We don't say things sometimes the way 
the Lord might want us to say things. We don't think things through sometimes the way we should think things through. And we make statements that enforce or give the perception of if you don't do this, or if you don't follow this, you are this person, or you are that person, which basically brings forth shame and guilt. And we serve a God where there is no condemnation and love. And a lot of people like to categorize different people in certain situations, and really, you really can't do that. But Everybody is an individual and everybody has the right to, you know, to think and feel, believe the way that they choose to do so. And we all have to answer for all those decisions that we make. Right. We do. We answer for all of the decisions that we make. And isn't it so wonderful that as we repent for the things we've said, for the things that we do, for the things that we've thought of, for the decisions that we've made, that there is, there is forgiveness that comes for us. And so with that, how can we walk as defenders of self-justice, as children of God, knowing that every experience that we have might not be good and some might be criminal, yet everything is always purposeful. So in the conversations when we've talked about Juneteenth and we've talked about racism and prejudice and we've talked about um, abortion, what are your thoughts on how we can be defenders of self-justice as children of God in all of these different areas? The, the main thing is that we have to keep God first. You know. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have sort of drifted away from the Bible, but the Bible's teaching is so true and it's so strong. And it's commit ourselves to that. We, we can still make, <clears throat> excuse me, bad decisions, but we have to first believe in God and his will and try to do his will and understand that God knows our hearts. He knows what we are going to do before we even do it. And he allows us to make these decisions that we made. But we have to, if we make a wrong decision, he's also there with his grace so that we can repent for it. Mm. Yeah, and that reminds me of Jeremiah 29 and 11, which basically says that before we were even born, God knew us. Before we were in the mind of our parents before we came into the womb, we were known. We were known by God. We were known. All of our steps were ordered. He knew exactly who we were going to be, who he fashioned us to be. He knew all of that. We were his creation. And one of the things, uh, a scripture that has been such a blessing to me this week, just during a lot of thoughtful um conversations and prayer was Romans 5.2. And the New Living Translation says, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. 
And this can mean so many things. And one of the things that it was, it was coming out was that even though I don't trust man, God always reminds me that I can trust him and that I can trust him through the men and women and children he chooses to speak through, he chooses to live through. And so, you know, we've talked about so many things tonight, um, today during this podcast. And I think a simple thing is saying the church's response, we as the church are to respond in different situations by hearing divine truth, living divine truth, speaking his wisdom, not getting caught up in man's agenda or a political arena or a governmental scheme and being present to share his love with everybody, regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of culture, regardless of creed or ethnicity or age. And I, I just, I think about if I didn't have that, if I didn't have scriptures like this to know that because of my faith in the one who created me, that I have an undeserved privilege, that I can stand and walk in confidently regardless of a decision that someone makes on my behalf or for someone to do something else, I can stand and I can be a defender of self-justice and know that even though things might be said wrong and decisions might be made wrong and are not benefiting everyone, I can stand as the defender of self-justice and I can say that I'm going to do what I need to do and what's required for me to do and what God wants me to do. And even when I stray and I don't do the things that God wants me to do or say the things that God wants me to say, he still gives me this undeserved privilege to come to him ask for repentance and live the way he wants me to live. So thank you, Daddy, for sharing your perspectives, your wisdom, and most importantly, God's love. You're so welcome. As, <laughs> so as we conclude <laughs> this episode, I trust that every woman and mother listening be empowered to walk in their dominion as they realize there is value in their life through all of their experiences so that they can become the defenders of self-justice for themselves. Thank you for listening to our own speech about defending self-justice and have a prosperous and powerful week.